one is probably most likely uh, my mom and my boyfriend and maybe some random strangers on SoundCloud. That's kind of, that's my audience at this moment. If you are listening, you're one of the few, the proud, the fantastic, the dedicated, the thank you very much. I appreciate your listening to this episode three of the Songs for the Struggling Artist podcast. It is happening. Episode three. I am uh, changing up my, my methodology here. I have been like putting out the blog at the same time as the podcast. So like they're sort of talking to each other. Uh, but this time I just went ahead and put that blog out because yeah, I didn't have time to record a podcast version. And now a day later, maybe two days later, I don't know, a little bit later, now it's podcast time. So there may be some shifts in what happens in the actual blog. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but here it is. The new and updated version of, is it updated? It's not updated. What am I talking about? I got distracted because I'm recording this on, um, over sort of the Songs for the Struggling Artist episode two thingy in GarageBand. So it just started playing the last bit of me talking. Um, so I was like, wait, what am I saying from two weeks ago? I don't know. Uh, so anyway, this is episode three, 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 three. And, uh, I will begin here now reading you the newest blog on songs for the struggling artist, which is called something like, and I will actually get this when I read it. And it's called something like why going away for inspiration is a good idea. I think we'll confirm that in a moment. Why going away for inspiration is a good idea. My trip to Greece last fall lit me up like a megawatt Christmas tree. Ideas streamed through me. I collected images for shows I hadn't imagined. The world once again seemed like one of possibility. It was nourishing and uplifting. When I got back to NYC, I started to think about how to follow the thread of those ideas, and I quite quickly ran into the obstacles that generally prevent me from making things. Here are some details from the artistic committee meeting in my head. Sure, this idea about a theatrical immersive oracle of Delphi is a fun one, but where are you going to get funding for that? It's a very expensive idea, you know. All right, fine, that one's for later, I know, but how about a Minoan puppet show inspired by all those clay figures? You should, the aesthetic is full of potential. Snake goddesses, great, let's see. How will we get a puppet show going? Do the puppet lab at St. Anne's Warehouse again? We could, but really you'd need a really skilled puppet maker. You're just the writer, story, director, girl. And applications went on months ago, months ago. Also, they've never taken anyone on story alone. And last time you did it, your project went pretty pear-shaped. You want to go through that again? All right, all right. We'll save that for later. Let it percolate a little bit. Ooh, how about your messenger show about messengers? Can we do that one? Sure, that shouldn't be too hard. Just put it together and then, uh, well, maybe a reading somewhere. Somewhere not too expensive because no one's going to fund you doing 
research and development for a show like that. You know that, right? Right, all right. Let's think about this backwards then. Where is there some funding and what could we do that fits into those, those models? Well, there's the uh, LMCC Creative Communities Grant that you got a couple of years ago. Sure, but the only thing that even vaguely fits that criteria is the project you applied with last year, and that was roundly rejected by pretty much every funding body. You could try to apply again, but you don't have the resources to even bullshit your way to showing additional support for that. That ship has pretty much sailed. And so it went. None of it was particularly negative. I generally don't have voices telling me I'm shit and that I'll never amount to anything. So many books on creativity are about how to deal with those hypercritical hyper voices, and those books are valuable. But in my case, the voices aren't so much critical as they are experienced and practical, which, if you're going to make something, is all very necessary. When I began years ago, I had no idea what I was up against, so I could push through the practical challenges on pure positivity and the inspirational high. I no longer have the beautiful freedom of innocence, so my creative well can sometimes be hard to draw from. What traveling can do is replenish the creative well, even if none of my ideas are actually possible or practical. The sheer act of having them or dreaming them is like priming the pump. I throw some water down there, and when I go to my creative pump, the one that will give me some of that practical water, there will be something there. Through a workshop with Improbable Theatre Company, I learned something about something called the Disney strategy. It's apparently a system that Walt Disney used with his staff. You have three areas, the dreamer, the critic, and the realist. And you go and hang out in each place and let yourself go there. You start in the dreamer corner, corner and let yourself dream. In the realist corner, you deal with reality for a while. Then you move to the critic's corner and let fly with all the reasons it's a terrible idea. Getting away was like sitting in that dream corner for a while, letting ideas flow unencumbered by any practical concerns. I need the impractical, I need the impractical dreams <laughs> to keep me in the habit of dreaming. I need to sit in a stream of unproducible ideas to be able to pull out the occasional achievable one. It makes me think about the way that you can train yourself to remember your actual dreams, the ones you have at night and lose upon waking. If you write them down, you convince your brain that they are important to you. The idea being that your brain learns to remember them because it is in the habit of remembering them. So if you acknowledge those ideas as they float past you, the odds of catching an achievable one are a lot better. You can then take one back to the practical corner and fold it into something that fits into the world you live in. I could feel myself trying very hard to make it okay that the world I live in is so hard to make anything in. My ambitions are large and my resources small, and in recent years I have attempted to make things smaller so as not to experience, experience too much despair. But I miss the thrill of dreaming big. Dreaming big feels good. It feels like a returning to myself. So I am very grateful to see that I still have the ability to sit in the dreaming corner, dreaming big dreams. I just had to work out how to sit in the practical corner without feeling as though I've been made to sit in the corner, nose to the wall, like little Jack Horner or something. That has been the dilemma. And now, 
many months after I returned from the land of dreaming, I am diving back into a practical process, made possible by an unpredictable series of events, the sort I couldn't have planned for when I first began sitting in the realist corner. It makes me especially glad I had the opportunity to prime my creative pump with a journey away. The dreaming may have planted a seed I couldn't even see. All right, that is the end of episode three. Well, not really, because I'm still talking to you, but that was the end of the blog from episode three. And it's the end of the blog cast. This is the podcast. The blog cast is the part in the middle where I read you the blog. Um, so, um, yeah, Thursday, I start a brand new research and development process out in Flushing at Flushing Town Hall which is super exciting and I'm terrified and thrilled and looking forward to actually getting my feet wet again in a big old process. A giant, giant process. Um, yeah, so thanks again for listening, listeners, those who are listening. This is the longest one yet. They may get longer. I don't know. Or maybe they'll get shorter. You'll never know. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye.